Today's scripture passage is from the first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and is given to us in love. Good morning. Happy Easter. As we have walked through the events of Christ's passion this past week, I think we all here find great comfort in knowing that we have a Savior who understands our suffering and who empathizes with us. Today, as we celebrate the resurrection, we as a people are thankful that we have a certain hope that those who have passed will rise again. Today, we lift our voices with our brothers and sisters who are gathered in Catholic churches, Baptist churches, Anglican, Charismatic, Lutheran, non-denominational, Methodist, Presbyterian, and many other denominations. On the periphery, we disagree, but at the core, we all agree and are united by the core of Christianity, the gospel message. Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose, and was seen. So as we look at our text this morning, we have two points. The first is the gospel, and then the second is the gospel identity. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being here this morning. We're grateful that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive. We're grateful for your comfort, and we're grateful for your hope. And Lord, as we hear this familiar text, I pray that you give us fresh ears to hear the truth, and that you would use this truth to transform our hearts and our minds. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is the gospel. So I encourage you to open your bulletins or you can look on your your phone apps. In verse 3a, Paul writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, there are many things that follower of Christ we, we disagree on. We disagree on things like baptism, 
the extraordinary gifts, the leader structure, leadership structure of the church, different views on the end times. But Paul says, if you are here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, the one thing that you cannot disagree on is the gospel message. The Corinthians received the gospel from Paul in 54 AD. Paul received it from Peter in 34 AD. Peter received it from Jerusalem church in 35 AD, who received it from the risen Lord, who received it from the Bible. In Luke 24, 25, it says, He opened their minds so they could understand from all the scriptures which say that the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. The gospel is of first importance. And in our passage this morning, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church was saying, if any of you are doubting the truth of the gospel, let me give you three reasons why you should believe it. And the first is, because there were eyewitnesses who testified that Christ had risen from the dead. In a court of law, it's one thing for one or two witnesses to give corroborating testimony to what they saw in a particular case. But in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 6, Paul writes that not only did Cephas and the rest of the disciples see the risen Lord, over 500 brothers saw Jesus at one time. And many of whom, Paul says, are still alive, so you can go and talk with them. Men, women, and children saw the risen Jesus with their own eyes. I don't know if you've ever played the telephone game. The telephone game, you kind of gather in a circle, and the first person says a statement and whispers that in the next person's ear. And then that person whispers the same statement in the next person's ear, and it goes round, round, round to the very end. And the final person says that statement. And if you've ever played that game, by the time that statement gets to the very end, that statement is completely different. Hundreds of eyewitnesses saw the same event. Hundreds of witnesses told others about that event. The likelihood of the message changing was so great, but it didn't. Paul says they all testified to the same thing. Christ is risen from the dead. And so how do we know that the gospel is true? We know because of eyewitnesses. We also know because of changed lives. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9b and 10, I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Prior to meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul was persecuting the church. He was there when they stoned Stephen. He had the blood of many Christians on his hands. But after meeting the risen Lord, Paul, the great enemy of the way, became the greatest, greatest champion of this ragtag movement. Only something true can change such a man. And we know from the gospel accounts and acts, 
Paul wasn't the only person who was changed by the risen Lord. Peter, who denied Christ three times, he then met with Jesus on a beach and had breakfast. And after that time, Jesus commissioned him and he went out and he preached to thousands of people. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, writes after embracing the truth of the gospel, he writes this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so we have eyewitnesses that testify to the truth that Jesus is risen from the dead. We have changed lives. And then thirdly, Paul says, we know that the gospel is true and that Jesus is risen because there were so many who were willing to experience persecution and death for Jesus Christ. In chapter 15, verses 31 through 32, Paul writes this, I died every day. I mean that, brothers. Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord, I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons. What have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul, he willingly embraced suffering because he knew the truth, the truth that Jesus is alive. And we know from history that Paul wasn't alone. Peter, he was hung upside down on the cross. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by the sword. And in Acts 12, we read that King Herod had James put to death for his faith in Christ. And there were so many throughout the centuries who suffered and who died, believing the resurrection of Christ was indeed true. As Jim so wonderfully preached several weeks ago, we live in a world where so many say that Jesus, he was a good man or he was a good teacher. But the truth is, he is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. The eyewitness accounts, the changed lives, and those who are willing to give their life for the sake of Christ demonstrate that Jesus is the risen Lord. And our risen Lord, who came preaching what? The good news of the gospel. And what is the gospel message? Look at verses 3b through 8. Paul writes this. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ was raised. And he appeared to James and the other apostles. John's gospel says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Jesus came down from heaven. He entered our world. He loved the religious and the irreligious. 
He obeyed his heavenly Father perfectly. He suffered verbal and sexual abuse, being stripped naked on a cross. And then he died and he was buried. And the good news this morning, he was raised from the dead. Jesus scraped the bottom of human destitution and rose in glory. Why did he do this? Paul writes, for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. Jesus went to the lowest of lows and felt the worst of worst of our sins. Slave ships, mass genocide, the dark web, human trafficking, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse, Ponzi schemes, greed, pride, deceit, and every type of idolatry. He plunged the depths of sin of this world and took on the punishment we deserve so that we who profess faith in him and repent of our sins might be forgiven. I don't know how many of you saw the HBO documentary Chernobyl. Chernobyl, as you know, is in, outside of Kiev, and there was an accident at the nuclear power plant. It was beginning to melt down. Many men, firefighters, died. And as the accident grew and they tried to get their arms around it, one of the things that they realized was that if the water began to rise underneath the plant, there would be an explosion and the core would melt down and millions of people would die. And the the continent of Europe would not be inhabitable for 700 years. And so the engineers, being aware of this, knew that the only way The only way, really, to save humanity was for someone to volunteer to go into the bowels of Chernobyl in the radioactive water, get to the sleuth gates, and open them so that the water would dissipate and there wouldn't be an explosion. And so three brave engineers went on this suicide mission. They put on diving gear, and they went into the darkness They trudged through waters, nuclear waste all around them. At times, they had to swim underneath the water. They went to the very bowels of Chernobyl, and they reached the sleuth gates. They opened them, and the water began to dissipate. And in essence, they saved Europe and millions of lives. Jesus plunged himself into the radioactive waste of our sin to save the world from death and destruction. There is no greater love than a man who is willing to give his life for his brother. The gospel message is that Jesus, he lived a perfect life. He died a death he did not deserve to die. He was buried for three days. And then he was raised from the dead to pay the penalty of our sins so that those of us who profess faith in him, who repent of our sins, will be forgiven and given new life. Because Jesus swept down to the lowest of places, we can never, ever, ever say that Jesus couldn't know my pain. We can never say that our sin is too great for his forgiveness. The gospel message tells us no matter what you've done, 
what you're going to ever do to disobey God. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, if we profess faith in him, we can receive forgiveness. No matter how much pain you endure in this life, and you will endure pain, there is no pain and suffering that you will ever go through that your Savior has not already gone through and endured. This is the great story, the gospel message. So that brings us to our second point this morning. What does it do to your identity to believe the gospel? How does the gospel message change your identity? And I believe it changes it in many ways, but I just want to focus on two this morning from our text. And first is, it gives us a deep, deep humility. Look back in chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Paul begins the chapter reminding the Corinthian church that the gospel is not something that we take hold of, command of, or ownership of. It is something that we receive that's given to us as a result. The gospel creates in us a deep-seated humility in those of us who call ourselves Christians. We see this humility demonstrated in Paul. Look in verse 8. Paul refers to himself as one untimely born. Now in the Greek, that literally means he's saying, I was freakishly born. And why would Paul use a statement like that? Because he understood that he was a son of Adam and Eve. He understood that he inherited the sin, the rebellious heart. He understood that he was capable of doing the worst of worst things. In verse 9, Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul, he's sober-minded. While the other apostles were ministering alongside of Jesus, Paul freely admits that he was out persecuting religious leaders. He's open about his sin. He says in 1 Timothy 1.15 that he's the chief of sinners. In verse 10 he says, By the grace of God I am what I am. Paul understood everything he possessed, everything good that he had done, was the result of Christ's work in him. Philippians 3.7-9 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith. If the gospel has taken hold of our lives, then our identity is going to be marked with humility. And so when men and women and others criticize us, instead of getting defensive, what we're going to do is what Tim Keller says he always does. We're going to pray and we're going to ask God, there must be some kernel of truth in their criticism. We're to be men and women who do not promote our own ego or gain. 
But instead, like Christ, we give up our status so that others might be lifted up. We delight in the success of others. We protect the reputation of others. We put others first. And as I was thinking about this picture of humility, I couldn't help but think of Mother Teresa. And she was asked once, why do you take communion every day? And she thought for a moment and she said, that's easy. Because I'm a sinner. And every day I need to be reminded of the broken body of Christ and the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of her sins. And it's fitting that Mother Teresa died on the same day that Princess Diana died. Princess Diane was all over the news. There was a barely mention of Mother Teresa. And I think she was smiling from heaven saying, I'd have it no other way. This is humility. This is what the gospel does in us. And so the question for us this morning is do we possess the, hum- the humility that comes from believing the gospel? Do we understand the depth of our own depravity and God's grace poured out on us? Are we teachable and quick to encourage and praise those around us? Do we give up the stage so others might receive the praise? So the first thing that we see about the gospel identity is that it's marked by humility. Secondly, we see it's marked by boldness. Jack Miller, he famously said the following, Cheer up. You are a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. And while these two statements are very true, that we're a worse sinner than we ever imagined, and we're more loved than we ever dared hope, Paul, in our passage today, he adds a third statement that the gospel does in us. And that third statement is, you are more transformed than you ever dreamed possible. For the gospel, it doesn't only create humility in us, it also creates boldness in us. We are new creations, created for God's work. And Paul, he understood it was by grace that God had saved him. And Paul understood that it was Christ working in him. And that's why he was able to say in verse 10, what many would think is arrogance, but it wasn't. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And then in verse 11, he says, whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so many believed. These statements, they sound strangely like arrogance. But we know that Paul was full of humility. They weren't arrogance. They demonstrated the gospel coming into our hearts, changing us and emboldening us. They demonstrate the truth that we are united to Jesus Christ and through our union with Him, we can boldly do great things for Him. Paul is not afraid to say that he worked harder than everyone else. 
He's not afraid to say that his ministry brought about many people coming to faith in Jesus. Because ultimately, Paul understood the power didn't come from him. It came from God. And therefore, he could take risk. He could seek to do the improbable and the impossible. He could be bold in his walk and service for the king. I know over the last weeks we've been doing the series Knowing Self. And part of that series, one of the things that we did is we looked at our spiritual gifts. And every person who professes faith in Christ, they, they have spiritual gifts. All of you have gifts. And what Paul is saying, it's okay to humbly receive those gifts and walk in humility. But it's also okay to be bold about those gifts. It's okay to say to others, hey, I am a great teacher. I am a good encourager. I do mercy really well. I care for others well. It's okay to be bold about what God is doing in you. Psalm 139 says, we are wonderfully and fearfully made. God made each of us so unique. And he needs every one of us to join with him in the work, the kingdom work that continues today. And so I wonder this Easter morning, what have you felt like God is calling you to do but you're afraid to do it because of fear of failure or rejection. If Paul were standing here this morning, he would say to you, go for it. Be bold. Trust in Christ's work in you. In The Lion King, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is toward the end. Simba has run away from the pride lands. And he has forgotten that he's a king. And Rafiki comes to Simba. And he tells Simba to look down at the pond. And as he looks down at the pond, he begins to see the reflection of himself. And then that reflection changes. And he sees his father. And his father begins to speak to Simba. He says, Simba, remember who you are. Remember that you are the king. And I'm sending you back to save those that Scar has sought to destroy. This morning, Jesus is saying to us, remember who you are. Remember the gifts he's given you. He has a calling on each of your lives. And he's calling you to be bold in proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And until he comes again, he wants us to be about his kingdom work. And there's no greater work this side of heaven than testifying to none other than the gospel. The gospel that Jesus came and obeyed. Jesus died on a cross. And Jesus was raised from the dead. This Easter, we celebrate the risen Lord. We are united by what's of first importance, the gospel message. And it is this gospel message that brings us 
and transforms us and gives us a gospel identity that is marked by humility and boldness. My hope is in the upcoming weeks as we continue to celebrate Eastertide that we'll be a community that walks humbly before the Lord and before one another and then who boldly loves one another loves mercy and justice and seeks to further God's kingdom. And left to ourselves, we cannot do this. It's only achieved through our union with Him. And therefore, it's appropriate this morning that we come to this table because this table is a beautiful mystery of grace where when we partake of the bread and this cup, we are never more united to Jesus than in this moment. And so, if you will stand with me.